Well, hey guys, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. Um, this lesson is gonna be a little different, right? You guys are all tuning in online. Uh, we're grateful for you guys. We miss you guys. Um, we're excited to see you guys again soon. Uh, we're gonna be talking about chapter 16 in the book of Judges today. We're gonna continue on where Ken left off um, in the book of Judges. We're gonna be talking about Samson and the end of Samson's life. Uh, so I'm gonna pray and get our minds right, get our hearts right. Um, and then we'll dive into it. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for who you are. And thank you in the midst of this confusion, Father, that you are good. Um, I pray that you may just ease our minds today as we go through the book of Judges. And Lord, that may you ease our minds as we try to navigate uh, how to work within our society and our economy right now. Father, we trust you. Um, we know that we may not understand it and your perspective is greater than ours, but we trust you, Lord. We love you. We praise you and we need you. Um, so open our hearts today. Help us to have good discussion, whether it's with a group of brothers or if it's with our wife or just ourselves. Um, help us to think about these questions and think about this chapter uh, and may it bring worship to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, guys. So we're going to be continuing on. Cycle of sin in the book of Judges. This is what we've seen over and over and over, right? Sin, suffering, sorrow, salvation. We see it again and again. At this point in the life of Samson, we talked about it a little bit last week, we are going to be going, nearing the tail end of this cycle, right? So it's not just the vicious cycle, it's actually going further and further down into the toilet bowl. So it's getting worse and worse. Samson is one of the worst judges, if not the worst judge in the book of Judges. And we're gonna see that uh, not just in his life from last week, but in his death uh, this week as well. So I titled this one this week, Complacency Always Leads to Destruction. Uh, last week, Ken introduced Samson. He's our worst judge yet. Uh, we talked about love, sex. We talked about abuse of power, right? All terrible things. Um, and we're going to continue down this path of destruction this week. So Samson is from Gaza, right? We see Gaza right up there near, near Philistia. Uh, this is actually Samson. I'm sorry. Samson is from Zorah and he ends up in Gaza. So that's where we're going to see right when Samson enters in the first verse, we're going to see Samson in Gaza, right? He's in the capital of the Philistine nation. Um, and for some reason we find him there. So where are we guys? Israel's been under Samson for about 20 years now. I want us to remember that this doesn't mean that Israel's had peace for 20 years, as in some of the judges from the beginning um, right, Israel had peace for you, 40 years, 20 years, 10 years. Right now, it just says that Israel has been under Samson. Samson's been the judge for 20 years. The last time we saw Samson, right, he was slaughtering the Philistines with a donkey jaw, right? He was all by himself. And then he almost dies of thirst and God rescues him. So what we see here is that Samson doesn't know what to do with his gift. All right, Samson doesn't know why God's given him this strength. He just knows that he's gifted and he knows that he wants to use it for himself. So what we're gonna see in this chapter is that Samson's going to become his own idol. What Samson wants is going to be what Samson gets because he thinks that it's all about him, right? He's alone in the battle. And again, we find him alone in Gaza. Samson has become complacent in his sin, right? In chapter 16, we see what complacency leads to. We see what complacency truly is. And so this story is about complacency. We're going to see a strong man who's gifted, but he doesn't know what his gift is for, and that leads him towards becoming increasingly complacent in his sin. What I don't want us to do is view this chapter through the lens of a story about Samson. 
right? I want us to view this as God's strength in Samson's weakness, as we've talked about with most every judge before. This is about God's strength. This is about Samson's weakness. And so to be honest with you guys, this was convicting for me. I feel like as a man, I, continue, I continually want things to be easy, right? I, I tend to move and gravitate towards complacency, whether it's my marriage or with the kids. I want my kids to be easy. I want work to be easy. And I think that naturally, for me at least, it makes me want to become more complacent. It leads me towards being more complacent. But when we are working towards easiness and when we are working towards complacency, how many times in our life when say we get that job or we get that promotion, how many times does something else in our life fall apart? It's happened to me multiple times and I know now it's because God wants us to rely on him. Right? God wants that from us. He wants us to cry out to him. He wants us to trust in him. He doesn't want us to rely on our own strength. We're going to see this today in Samson. And we're going to be able to answer the question, how do we fight this complacency? Right? It's by realizing what complacency does to our lives. And it's realizing what complacency does to our relationship with God. So let's get into it, guys. The prostitute. First verse we see, right? Samson, Samson went to Gaza. And there he saw a prostitute. And he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait to the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. This is crazy, right? The first thing we see Samson do is he's having sex with a prostitute in the Philistine capital. Samson's not doing great, right? We get a little glimpse into what has actually happened in the life of Samson, what complacency has actually done to his life. He went to Gaza and he saw a prostitute. My first thought when I read this, before I did any of the lesson planning, my first thought was, this is terrible. Can this get any worse? Like how, how, how is Samson going to be a big character in the Bible? Right? He's wandering around Gaza. He's in the capital city, city of the Philistine nation. He doesn't know what his gift is for. He's continuing to use his blessings for himself. My first, my first thought when I was reading this as well was, man, how could Samson do this? Right? How could Samson, the leader of Israel, how could he become this? How, how has it gotten this so far? But also, don't we act the same way? I look at what God has done in my life, but I continue to flirt with sin on a daily basis, if I'm honest. You know, whether it's desire for comfort or whether it's lust or whether it's wanting more money or power. God has done crazy things in my life. My life is a living testament that God is real. And many of you, your lives are living testaments that God is real. Samson is doing what all of us would do when we're deceived by a sin. So let's talk about the deceitfulness of sin. Right? Samson is continually flirting with sin and it's going to continue to take over his whole being. Right? This isn't where Samson intended to go. What happened is he allowed sin to sit right next to him. Like he got comfortable with it. Maybe he put it in a box and put a nice bow on it and made excuses for it. But at some point that sin's going to take over his life. Sin has a way of taking everything, guys, when we give it anything. And most of you that have been walking with Jesus for a while now, you know this. You know that when you give sin an inch, it takes everything. It reminds us that Jesus must be Lord over our entire life. Or we will head down this same destructive path. We can't pick and choose where we want the Lord to be Lord over our entire life. We can't be complacent with our marriage, but be doing really well at work. 
Jesus must be Lord, guys. God's purpose is going to come to fruition regardless of Samson. And that's what we're going to see. And regardless of us. But how beautiful would it be if we get, get in line with God's plan and we say, okay, Lord, you use me. I will just obey. We must be calling sin what it is. Or we're going to end up exactly like Samson is living in complacency because we refuse to call sin what it is. I don't want us to get it twisted in our head, guys. Sin's purpose and sin's motive is premeditated murder, right? Sin wants to kill you. Sin wants you to give it an inch so it can take everything from you. If we don't, if we downplay and flirt with the sin, it will take, will take us over. But for some reason, Samson still has this God-given strength, right? It says, but Samson lay till midnight and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is Hebron. Right, we see that God hasn't gone anywhere. God is still working. He's still the main character of the story. He's given Samson this strength. God's still there. He hasn't forgotten about Samson. He's not looking down and being like, oh my gosh, what have I done? He's in complete control. We also see that God doesn't need Samson to fulfill his purposes, right? But Samson's useful to God right now. He's not necessary, but he's useful. Real quick, I want to talk about this. This is insane, right? Samson's in Gaza and he picks up the bars of the city and he walks to Hebron. Now on this map, it doesn't look very far, but this is a 40 mile hike. Right, Samson picks up the gates of the city of the capital of the Philistine nation. He picks it up and he walks 40 miles uphill. This is insane, right? This is supernatural strength. And it reminds us that despite Samson's crazy sin, God is continuing to give him supernatural strength. Why? Why would God use a sinful man like that? Because he's useful to God for right now. He's not necessary, but he's useful to God. God can and does and will use compromising people in compromising circumstances to fulfill his purposes for his people. Right? He loves his people too much. He loves his people too much to just let them be led by Samson and let them be taken down by Samson. It also reminds us that Samson is successful here, right? Success can be dangerous. We saw that worldly success did to Gideon. The same is happening here to Samson. Samson's the leader of Israel, right? He's the strongest man in the world. And he's won battles literally by himself and with a donkey jaw. God has allowed Samson to become successful. But Samson's fault, right? Where Samson falls short is that he fails to recognize that his blessings are a gift from the Lord. And he fails to recognize the purpose of his gift. He doesn't know why he has it. He doesn't see it as a gift. He sees it as a right. Adversity, adversity is tough, guys. I'm not going to lie. Like adversity is really hard, but sometimes, sometimes success is even harder on us. Success is harder on our spiritual lives. Tim Keller puts it better than I ever could. He says, we now can begin to see how sin and grace function on two completely opposed bases. In grace, God takes even our weaknesses and failures and uses them for us. But in sin, we take even his gifts and strengths and use them against him. Our sinful hearts will find ways to use even God's blessings to ruin our lives. Paul speaks to this in Romans 1. When in effect, he says that the worst thing God can do to us is give us our desires and successes. The most successful people in the world tend to be the people that are the farthest from God. Samson's worldly success has set up his demise, right? It's made him prideful. It's made him arrogant. 
And we all know this, right? Pride precedes the fall. This makes me think, what if I, for some reason, had made it into the NFL, right? After TCU, I did the draft day or whatever it is, and I made it into the NFL. To the world, that would have looked as the greatest thing that could have happened to me, right? I'm making millions of dollars. I'm getting to play a game for my living, right? The world sees that as awesome. But looking back on my life, if that would have happened to me at 21, 22 years old, that would have set up my demise. That would have been the worst possible thing that could have happened to me. Right? I wouldn't have gone through the hardships that have made me into the man today. I wouldn't have gone through the trials that have formed me and shaped me into a, a man that loves the Lord and loves his wife and loves his children. Right? I would have gotten everything I wanted. That would have been the worst possible thing that God could have done for me was to give me what I wanted in that season. Looking back on it, I am glad that that didn't happen. But in that moment, I was thinking, man, what am I going to be? What am I going to do? It reminds me that success can't save you, right? Samson needs to realize that success can't save you. Only God's going to be able to save you. So Samson's pride, Samson's idols are himself, and his pride leads to lust. Let's look at verse 4. It says, After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sork, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to Delilah and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies. By what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we'll each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound, that one may subdue you. Uh, my hope is when we read this, that red flags go off in our head. Right? We're like, well, hold on, why do you want to know what my weakness is? But for Samson, they don't. Samson's used to getting everything he wants, He's used to having everything work out the way he wants. And if it doesn't, he just uses his strength to get through. This is not just a bad stretch with women, right? This is disobedience. This is sin that's led him here. Samson loves Delilah's beauty, right? He loves that he can have sex with her. She loved the fact that he could make her rich. She loved the fact that he could make her a national heroine. They say they were going to give her 1,100 shekels of silver. That makes up about 100 million pounds of silver in today, um, which translate to about $209 million from each one of those Philistine leaders. But it's not just that. Like, she's going to be immensely rich if this happens. But it's also that it gives her a seat at the council. Right? She's a decision maker now in this land. She wants this. This is important for her. She's willing to do whatever it takes to get there. Samson is blinded to this. He has this idolatrous attachment to himself. And this idolatrous attachment leads to his destruction. He's blinded by the sin that's sitting right next to him, laying in bed next to him. Because he wants what he wants. Again, Tim Keller puts it, he says, an idolatrous attachment can lead you to break any promise, rationalize any indiscretion, or betray any other allegiance in order to hold on to it. It may drive you to violate all good and proper boundaries, to practice idolatry is to be a slave. So I want to ask the question today, what is your idolatrous attachment? Right? We all have one. We all may have something that we're holding on to that makes us break any promise. It leads us to insecurity. What is our idolatrous attachment? Is it lust? Is it power, money? For me, it's security. Right? If I'm being honest with you guys, I have a craving to have my family, my finances, my job, everything to be secure. Right? I know that it's wrong. I know what Jesus says about this. He tells us to trust in him. He's going to give us everything we need. But I hold on to this idolatrous attachment. And if I'm being honest with you guys, this idol has led me to break promises. 
It's led me to betray Jesus at times. <clears throat> it's led me to cross lines with my wife so that I can hold on to security and the comfort that I think it's going to bring. That's not me, right? I look at that when I'm in seasons like that and I think, man, who is this person? Because that's what idols do, right? It makes us into a person that we don't even recognize. If I'm being truthful, that's, that's the sinful side of me, right? That's the idol that I hold on to. But what does Jesus say about it? Right, again, he tells us to trust in him, that everything we could ever need is going to come from him, that he is the provider. Sin is in the business of premeditated murder, right? If sin had the way it wanted, it would, it would want me to hold on to that idol until my death. It would lead me towards destruction. It would lead me towards the path down to Samson. So ask yourself the question today, what is your idol that you're holding on to? What is Samson's idol, right? It's himself. The Philistines, see, the Philistines don't see this. The Philistines say, look here, it says, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him. Right? The Philistines don't recognize that Samson's strength is a gift from God because Samson didn't act like his gift was from God either. Right? Samson saw his gift as a right. The Philistines believed that Samson was a God. Right? The Philistine God was Dagon. He's half man and he's half fish. They believe that's their God. And they saw Samson as the God of Israel. They didn't see him as the judge. They saw him as a God because look, he's, he's mighty, he's powerful. They see that as a God. He's unlike anyone else. In their eyes, if they defeat Samson, they defeat the God of Israel. This shows us why Samson's prideful, right? He talks to Delilah. They tell Delilah, hey, see where his great strength lies. So she tries and Samson tells her, in verse seven, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and like any other man. If Samson's being honest here, he is bound by whatever he pleases. Right? Samson's bound by lust. He's not bound by bowstrings. Samson is like, or is like most men here. Right? The majority of, majority of us would act completely in accord with what Samson's doing. He's missing the sins sitting right next to him, sitting in the bed next to him because he doesn't want to see it. He's gonna make excuses for it. He should have taken the hint that she probably wasn't right for him, right? But he doesn't because he wants what he wants. He's fully addicted to the sex that, the pleasure and the sex that this idol brings, what his flesh wants. He goes on, he gives her another reason. If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And he says, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, and I should become weak and like any other man. Let's remember here that Samson's not a complete idiot, right? He knows what Delilah wants here, but he's not willing to give her up. He's not willing to give up what his flesh desires. Sin's always gonna have us make excuses, guys, so that we can keep it around, so that we can be complacent. That's what's happened. Samson has become complacent with the sin that sits right next to him. He's going to continue to be complacent. He's going to continue to have pride. My first thought is, what is he still doing there? Right? If any of us were in this situation, reading this book, we think, why is he still there? It's because lust and idols can warp absolutely everything. This is happening because Samson's refusing to call sin what it really is. He's allowed himself to become complacent. He's allowed sin to sit right next to him. It's beginning his downfall. 
that he's living as if there are no consequences to sin. He's like a child. He's like a child that sticks his hand in the cookie jar and continues to stick his hand in the cookie jar because he doesn't get in trouble. My son is two and a half years old. His name's Shepard. He has found the snack drawer in our kitchen and Shepard continues to run into the snack drawer and come back with fruit snacks. He's like, Dad, Daddy, look what I found. I'm like, no, buddy, you can't have fruit snacks. You're about to eat. If I just continued to allow Shepard to go in to the snack drawer and grab whatever he wanted at any time of the day, right? He would probably worship fruit snacks. He'd sacrifice fruit snacks on the altar of fruit snacks. That's what he would want. But right, there's consequences to that. We know that if, if my son was to do that, he would get sick in a few days and he would throw up because there's consequences to that. Samson believes that there's no consequences to the sin that he's living in. And he's going to see as we continue to move down that there are going to be consequences, right? Just because God's delaying the consequence for Samson is because he's going to use him. This has been God's plan from the beginning. Let's not mess it up in our minds to think that God's scrambling to figure out what to do next. God knows exactly what's happening. So Samson's vexed to death, right? It says his soul was vexed to death and he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head. For I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. This is a heartbreaking verse in this chapter. He tells her the truth. He tells her the truth because he's fully addicted to her lust. Right? He's vexed to death. It's translated to be impatient, which means she's completely just driving him nuts. Right? He's he vexed to death. He feels like he's going to die. Like how, how annoying is Delilah here, right? But this is what he feels like. This is the definition of a destructive relationship. Samson is using her. He's using her for sex. He's using her for her beauty. She's using him for his power and wealth. It's an example of sacrificing our relationship with God for someone or something else. That's what Samson's doing here. He's sacrificing his, his Lord, his God, for someone, something else. And he, he tells her the truth and they cut his hair. Right? The cutting of his hair was a sign that he was a Nazarite. It's his vow, the sign of his vow. It's the ultimate screw you to God. Say, you know what? I don't need this. You know, I'll probably be strong regardless. Things will work out. I'll just bust my way out of it. This is Samson's fall. Right, we see that his strength left him in verse 20. It says his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I'll go out as other times and I'll shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. God's finally mentioned here in this chapter, right? He's been working in the background throughout this whole story. He's in control. And his first appearance is him leaving the judge of Israel. Samson says, I'll go out as other times and shake myself free. Samson's finally having to reckon with his abandonment of God. Samson's finally recognizing the consequence of sin we must realize that his hair was never the source of his strength, right? It's because the Lord left him. His hair was just a sign of his Nazarite vow. The Lord left him. That's what made him weak. It wasn't his hair. It's because Samson saw his strength as a right, not a gift. But God uses that for his glory. David Guzik puts it this way. Samson thought he could get away with sin and escape its consequences. He misinterpreted the merciful delay of God's judgment or correction as a sign that he really didn't care. He therefore presumed on God's mercy and continued on in his sin, making things far worse. 
Reminds us of the Dagon versus God, the Philistines view of God versus the Israelites view of God, of what we truly know who God is. Philistines believe that they had to do something to be right with their God, right? Samson doesn't make any sense to them. By the end of the story, this story is not gonna make any sense to the Philistines because they don't have any idea of a God that loves his people and cares about his people regardless of their circumstances. What they didn't recognize is that the God of Israel didn't play by their rules. The God of Israel wasn't Samson. Our God's purposes come to pass, period, regardless of what we do or say. It makes me sad because how often am I like the Philistines here? How often are we like the Philistines here? Do we believe that we're blessed if we do something? Right? Do we believe that if we make all these sacrifices, if we go to church X amount of times a week, if we do certain things or serve here or there, that God's going to bless us? Or that God's purposes rely on our strength? Or even worse, we can become complacent because we think what Samson thinks, right? God's just going to bless me. What the Philistines failed to see was that Samson's strength came from something much greater, much more powerful, a God who doesn't fail. That's what Samson failed to see too. This is a form of Christian magic, right? You sprinkle a little fairy dust here and there and then God's going to bless you. And my prayer is that we don't become like the Philistines. We don't become like Samson. Christian duties need to flow out of a relationship with our God rather than an attempt to get favor and blessing from him. Our good works flow out of knowing the one, the true, the beautiful, merciful God. It's not because we're trying to gain favor with him. We do not serve Dagon, so stop trying to gain favor with a different God because our God doesn't desire that. Samson, I wish that I could have seen what would have happened to Samson if he was obedient, if he loved the Lord. Because where he is right now is opposite from where he would be if he trusted God. Look where he is in verse 21. He ground mill at the prison, but the hair of his head began to grow back again after it had been shaved. When the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. When their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So the hair of his head begins to grow back. Again, we know this is God's renewing his vow, despite Samson's failure. The hair of his head is not the secret sauce to his power. power. It's not the Christian magic. It's God renewing his vow, despite Samson's failure, despite Samson refusing to call out to God, refusing to submit to the Lord. God's mercy shows itself here. God intervenes on behalf of his people because he loves his people. This is something that Philistines can't understand. God loves his people and he intervenes for him, them here. Samson got here by a misunderstanding of his purpose. His gifting was for God to use. His gifting wasn't for worldly pleasure. What are your giftings for? Right, whoever's watching this now, what are your giftings for? What do you believe your giftings are for? Do you know your purpose? My prayer is that you understand your purpose today. What is your purpose as a Christian? The answer should always be it's to glorify God and enjoy God forever. We need to understand that our purpose, no matter what area of work we're in, whether we're a businessman, whether we're a cook or a teacher, whatever you are, your purpose is to glorify the Lord. That's what he has for you. That's what he wants from you. Samson 
is successful, right? Now, where we are now, he's not successful. But Samson got here because he had trusted in his success, right? The most successful person in the world, Samson, has a very hard time crying out to God. Samson's at the peak of his life and it all gets taken away from him. Samson still fails to cry out to God, right? Still fails to cry out to God when he's at the lowest of his low, when he's grinding mill at the prison, he still has not cried out. It's because Samson's hope is in himself. He wants to get back to where he was, doing whatever he wanted to, without remorse for anything. But this success, this idol that he has, it's never going to satisfy. Guys, my prayer is that we may desire to rely on God when we're brought low, because it's going to happen. There are going to be times in our life right, we're brought low or that God does something that we don't understand why you've done it. Look at, the, look at our world now. Look at the climate. Right, we don't understand why God's doing this, but our perspective is so limited. We're infants and he's eternal. He knows what he's doing. He knows what's going on. The worst thing that can happen to us is that God can give us over to our worldly desires. Right, we fight that by relying on him. Because no matter what happens, no matter where we go, we trust in the Lord because his perspective is eternal. His perspective is perfect. Allow him to use you today. So God gets a victory, right? It's not Samson. It's God's victory. Look at verse 26. Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. And Samson called to the Lord and said, oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, oh God. And I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. He says, let me die with the Philistines. Samson bowed with all of his strength. The house fell upon the Lord's and all the people who were with it or who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. So Samson's first prayer in this chapter is his final prayer, right? He gets what he asks for. Literally, he pulls the house down and it kills him, kills the Philistines. He dies with the Philistines after living a life that is ridden with sin. Samson's without his hair, right? He's without his eyes, he's without his strength. He's without the spirit of the Lord, which is most important. But God still gives him victory. He cries out to God, right? He, he cries out because he wants to avenge his eyes, but he still, he cries out to God. Finally, he's brought so low that he's like, I don't know what else to do. I'm gonna cry out to you. Samson's life is marked by complacency. That complacency leads to his destruction. God's entrance from the background shows his power here. Right? It's as if all, everything else seems, ceases to matter. The story of Samson and the Philistines ceases to matter when God steps in. God's purposes are going to be fulfilled despite what Samson is and what he does. It reminds me how, how awesome would it have been if Samson was in line with God's purposes? He would have had joy, he would have had freedom and he would have experienced mercy and the love of God. But he didn't get to experience any of that. God still used him, but Samson didn't get to experience any of the fruits that God was working through his life. It's as if when God steps onto the scene, right? The whole story changes. And it's because it's his story, but the whole story changes. It's as if I had $500 million on my son's peewee football game, right? If they start to lose, I'm like, all right, I'm checking in. Give me your helmet, give me your shoulder pads. I'm gonna take over here. 
That's what happens, right? God takes over here and he's like, this is my story, Samson. It's not about you, never gonna be about you. Because it's always, always God's story. The story was never about Samson. It must be viewed for the lens of the providence of God, the sovereignty of God. God's never out of control, guys. I know a lot of us are scared and we're worried about what's going on in our world, but God is never out of control. Our lives may constantly be out of control, but we see it as out of control because we lose sight of who God is. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. My family's been going through a really hard time lately. My, uh, my wife lost her job yesterday, you know, partially because of this economy. They heard the company wasn't doing well and they had to cut half of their employees. Right, and it's scary. We have no idea what's gonna happen next. We have no idea what, what we're gonna do, what my wife's gonna do for a living, uh, what we're gonna do with the kids in daycare, right? It's scary. But I trust the God that's in control. I trust him with what's going on in our world. I trust him with this job. I trust him with what's next. You know, God rarely does things that we expect. He rarely works in accordance with our plans. If you think that I planned on my wife losing her job, you're crazy. But I trust that he knows what's gonna happen next. I believe our God is calm. He's cool, he's collected, right? Those are some of the attributes of God. He knows that things are going to work out the way he wants them to. So I'm gonna trust in that God because for me, I don't don't know what else to do. There's nothing else that I can do that's gonna change this. All I can do is trust in the Lord and be obedient to him. And I am choosing to believe that he's going to lead me where he wants me to be. He's going to lead my wife and my children and this church to where he wants it to be. So let's believe in that God that's calm, cool, and collected, right? This, God, this story is about God defeating his enemies through a weak man. God is never out of control. We need to remember that complacency also leads to destruction. That's where Samson is. He's been destroyed. Samson's end is a picture of a believer living in complacency. He never truly understood what his purpose was, his potential was squandered. Look at the potential, not in this room, but watching this. Look at the potential of each person watching this, right? You know Jesus on some level. You've heard of Jesus or you know Jesus. God has done crazy work in your life. You, us men, have the opportunity to do great work for the gospel. You have potential here, right? We have the potential to raise up a new generation for the gospel, to mentor the youth, to mentor the next generation. But how many times do we just complain about them instead of actually mentoring them and doing something about it, right? My prayer is that we would be men who love the Lord and that love for the Lord pushes us to do good works. There is amazing potential watching this video. Amazing potential because the Lord is with you. He has chosen you. He is putting his blessing upon you. You know Jesus, that's amazing. Not everybody can say that. You know Jesus, you have potential to change, change the world. David Jackman sums it up for me. He says, the Samson narrative begins with a strong man who is revealed to be weak, but it ends with a weak man who is stronger than he ever was before. This right here is the gospel, right? 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Look at it, our power is made perfect in weakness. God is greater than Samson, right? God's also greater than us. Our story as a Christian must be the same pattern. 
It must be that we become weak so that the Lord's strength can be seen through us. God changes the narrative of this whole story, of this whole chapter, the whole book of the Bible, because it's his, it's his story. May we stop living in our complacency and allowing sin to sit right next to us because it's gonna take us over. May we trust that the narrative of God's story is the right narrative. That's the one we wanna be following. God is saying throughout the story, show me your weaknesses. Right? Give up your weaknesses to me. I'll show you how mighty I am. The same thing he said to Gideon that I preached before. God is saying, show me your weaknesses. I will be strong through it. He's bigger than you could ever imagine. So guys, my prayer is that we kill complacency. We kill that complacency that sits next to us that we want to keep around so that we may kill the sin that hides within our hearts, so that we may get in line with what God has for our lives so that we may experience the blessing and the joy and the freedom that comes with obeying the Lord. There's joy there. May we kill that sin that hides within our heart. So here's your discussion questions today. Do you know your purpose in life? What is it? My prayer is that you guys could answer this question. All right, I'll answer the first one for you. Do you know your purpose in life? It's to glorify God, to glorify God, to enjoy God forever. But think about that. Think about that purpose. Think about what it is and what it means to you and how you can change the way you view your purpose now. Second one, where in your life can you point to complacency? Ken says this all the time, but if you guys say that there's no one in your life that you're complacent, you're a liar. Right? There's no way. Each one of us have some sort of complacency in our life. So take today, point it out. Point it out and don't let that idol sit next to you. Don't let that complacency sit next to you. And lastly, if you pay attention, you'll see that God is in control at all times throughout this chapter. Where in your life does it seem as though God is not in control? How can you trust him in that season today? Right, we're in a season where most of America would say that God's not in control. How can we view that through the lens of the gospel? How can we see that God is in control and how can we trust him in that season? He's bigger than we could ever imagine, guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your mercy, Lord, and thank you for the story of Samson. Thank you that it teaches us about complacency, Lord. It teaches us about your sovereignty and it teaches us how to be more in line with what you have for us, Father. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be men who don't fear, Lord, but trust in you in seasons where it's full of fear. We love you, God. We love you and we need more of you. The only cure for the craziness that goes on in our life and the out when we feel out of control, the only cure for that is more of you. So may we seek more of you and we hold fast to your word and may we know, God, that you are ultimate, that your purposes will come to pass. We love you, we praise you, and we need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.